0: It is good to be with you today, Haynes Creek. I hope all, all of you are doing well today. If it is your first time, I just wanna say a special welcome to you. We are thrilled and excited that you are here worshiping with us. My name is Travis and the pastor here and we would love a chance uh, just to follow up with you and let you know how appreciative we are that you came and, and visited with us, we're our guests today. So if you can do me a huge favor uh, and just let me know that you are here, you can do that one of two ways. One, you just pull out your phone right now and text the word welcome to that number that you see on the screen. So all you got to do is just text welcome to that number, and it gives me a chance to give you a call, follow up with you, and just thank you for your visit. Uh, Or if you prefer, we have welcome cards on the table over here and outside by the coffee. You just fill out that card Leave it on the table wherever you found it, Um, and again, that just gives me an opportunity to reach out and say thank you so much for your visit. Uh, So you could do me that favor. I would really, really appreciate that. Uh, And you find us working our way through the book of Acts. We started this all the way back at the end of January, uh, and here we are, middle of June, and we're going to finish out chapter 7 today and even uh, work our way a little bit into chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 7 we're going to pick up our story where we left off last week in verse 54. So Luke cha- or I'm sorry, uh, Acts chapter 7 verse 54. Uh, Luke is the other book that this guy wrote, so uh, I get confused sometimes. But Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 54. As you're turning there, I just want to give you a kind of a recap. Uh, if you've been out for a little while or, or just visiting with us for the first time, I want to make sure you understand where we are in our uh, study through Acts. So uh, we're picking up the story of Stephen again today. So this will be our third week looking at the life and ministry of Stephen, and we see Stephen introduced all the way back at the beginning of chapter six, where he is one of the seven that are chosen by the congregation, raised up to serve the church and meet the needs of the church, particularly the widows that were being Left out in the daily distribution, so the church raised up these seven men to serve the church and meet these tangible needs it 's really the, the foundation and the beginning of what we see as deacons and deacon ministry throughout scripture, and even today as the church still practice that so Stephen was one of those seven that were chosen. then we see he 's going around and he 's teaching and he 's preaching in the synagogue and, and he 's making some people frustrated and angry because he 's talking about Jesus, preaching about Jesus. And people don't like that. So they start to debate him and they realize, wow, this guy's way smarter than we are. So you know what? Instead of trying to argue with him, let's just create these false charges against him. So we saw at the end of chapter 6 that the Jewish people, the Jewish folks at that time who didn't like Stephen, they, they went to the council. Remember the, the council of these guys that we've seen in chapters four and chapter five, uh, where they are the, kind of the ruling council of the day for the Jews in Jerusalem. So they go to them, they say, hey, this guy, Stephen, he's preaching against God. He's talking about against God. He's blaspheming. He's, he's preaching against Moses and the temple and the law, which he wasn't doing any of that stuff. So they bring Stephen and they arrest him on these false charges. They bring him before the council and they ask, you know, is this true? And we saw the bulk of chapter 7 is Stephen's sermon, his defense, which is really, like we talked about last week, it's really a sermon where he kind of recounts the history of Israel. And he goes through the history of Israel, kind of giving this high-level overview of what's been going on with Israel from, from the beginning of Abraham all the way up till today. And he's showing them a pattern of what we see God doing throughout Israel's history. And that's, that's, it's all been working towards one thing, and that's Jesus. That's what Stephen reminds them of. Hey, God's been doing one thing since the beginning, and it's all about Jesus. All these things that we see, the law, the temple, Moses, Joseph, Jacob, they're all pointing to Jesus. And he reminds them that, hey, by the way, Jewish folks, you've got a history of not listening to God when he's talking to you. You rejected Moses. You rejected the law. You rejected right and true worship. You rejected the prophets. You persecuted and killed the prophets. You have continually turned your back on God, and you're doing it right here now with God himself, the Messiah. They're rejecting Jesus, God's Messiah. So Stephen ends his sermon by calling out their sin. And let's pick up where uh, this left off. So we see the end of his sermon, he calls them out for their stubbornness and their uncircumcision of their hearts and their ears that they've rejected God. They're not listening and following God. And now verse 54 of chapter seven says this. Now, when they heard these things, this is the crowd. This is not just, uh, not just a council that he's before. There's uh, most likely a large crowd that is gathered here. So when they heard these things, when they heard Stephen's sermon, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Chapter eight, verse one says, and Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day, a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Verse 4, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Okay, so as Stephen finishes his sermon, before he could really finish it. Most likely, it seems that like he was cut off, like he couldn't even get to his conclusion. Uh, it says that they were, they, they stopped him and they were enraged. The literal phrase is they were sawn through or cut through the hearts. Basically, what that means is they, they, they were real mad. They were really, really mad about what Stephen had said. It says that they ground their teeth at him. That, that they weren't literally grinding their teeth, I don't think, but you know, when you get mad, you kind of clench your jaw. That's kind of what it was uh, meant to be, a picture of like, you're just really, really angry, but it says that Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit, and we've seen that again and again about Stephen, that he was a man full of the Holy Spirit, reminds us, even in this moment where the crowd is, is against him and coming after him, saying that, that he's the one in sin, this reminds us that, that no, he's not. He's the one being righteous. He's the one being obedient here. So he's full of the Holy Spirit, and he looks up to heaven, and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he tells the crowd this, and they, they can't hear anymore. Literally, they, they, they cover their ears and they scream. It kind of reminds me of what my kids do when they don't want to hear something. They'll just cover their ears, la, 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 I can't hear you, I can't hear like, that's what that's what the crowd was doing. They're acting like little toddlers. That's how angry they are right now. They can't hear anymore. They've heard all they need to. Because what Stephen just did, when he says that he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God, what he's done in their minds, and it's true, what he's done is he's equated Jesus with God. And they don't believe Jesus is God. So in their minds, this is blasphemy. You're equating somebody else with God. So this is a, a terrible sin in their minds. And they just can't hear anymore. They rush at him and they stone him, which was the penalty for blasphemy. And it doesn't seem like this was a, an actual conviction of the council, right? Like we don't hear the council saying, okay, that's it. We've heard enough. Now your sentence is being stoned. It seems like the crowd just kind of took over. Like they just got so mad, so angry, they rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and murdered him. And as they did this, Luke makes note of something specific. As they did this, they they laid their garments down at a young man named Saul. We know him better as Paul. And he's going to become the forefront and the focus of Acts as we continue to work our way through it. But this is a good reminder of who Paul was. Before he was the guy who was the missionary and wrote most of our New Testament, he was Saul, the persecutor, the guy who was at the stoning of Stephen, who approved of Stephen's murder, who persecuted the church. So keep that in mind as we work through Acts a little bit more. We'll see Saul, who then becomes Paul. We'll see his story really take the forefront in Acts chapter 9, so we'll get there soon. But it says that after Stephen's death, there was extreme persecution against the church, so much that believers had to flee the city to the surrounding regions around Jerusalem, to Judea and Samaria. And it says that Saul ravaged the church. It means that he he caused great harm against the church. So this wasn't just like light persecution. This was Heavy persecution. These people's lives were being threatened every single day. But then it ends, uh, the section ends with verse four, where it says that as they were scattered, wherever they went, they, they were preaching the word. They were talking about Jesus. They were sharing the gospel. As persecution comes, as persecution ramps up and steps up, God's mission advances, it continues, it can't be stopped. So in this passage, we see the very first martyr of the Christian church, the very first Christian killed for their faith happens right here in Acts chapter 7. It's the death of Stephen, the murder of Stephen. And then we see full-on persecution, right? It's been ramping up towards this. It started out with just arrests and threats, and then a a beating or flogging, a whipping is what we talked about in Acts chapter 5. And now it is full-on persecution. But we also see believers continuing to follow Jesus in this. Despite the persecution, despite the threats, despite being cast out of their homes and their city, believers continue to follow Jesus. And there's three things that I think we can learn from Stephen and the other believers here in this passage about following Jesus. Just real quick, high-level outline uh, for those that are following along here. In this passage, we see the cost of following Jesus, the comfort of following Jesus, and the blessing of following Jesus. So our first point there. Let's dig into that. The cost of following Jesus. Cost of following Jesus. So as I mentioned, this is the the third week in a row that we've looked closely at and examined the life of Stephen. And look, this is all we have of Stephen in Scripture. All we got is Acts chapter seven or six and seven. That's all we get of Stephen. That's all we get from his life and his ministry. But we've learned a lot about Stephen, right? Like, what do we know about Stephen so far? We see we've seen over and over again that he was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit we see that he was one of the seven chosen in Acts chapter 6, right? One of the first deacons. We already talked about that. We see that he's been uh, called someone who is full of grace and power. In Acts chapter 6, he was doing signs and wonders, and he was preaching the gospel to everybody. And we also know that he knew the scriptures really well. Like, this guy knew his Bible. He knew the scriptures, right? Remember that as he was teaching in the synagogue teaching from the Old Testament, these, these other scholars that were listening to him didn't like it. So they tried to argue and they couldn't do it. Like this guy was smarter than all of his opponents. He knew more than all of them. I mean, we see that from his sermon, right? Like all he had was his Old Testament, and he's he's showing everybody and showing us today. Man, look at what God was doing from the moment he called Abraham. It's all been working towards Jesus. This guy knew. The scriptures, and then we know that he was killed for his faith, and he didn't back down, and he boldly proclaimed the truth of Jesus to the folks at this time. So, what we know about Stephen, we know that he served Jesus, we know that he served the church, we know that he shared the gospel, that he didn't back down even when a conspiracy was coming against him, that he preached truth to those who have already threatened the lives of the apostles, and told them over and over again, "Stop talking about Jesus." But look, Stephen is not just a story for us to go, oh, man, wow, look, look how awesome that is. Look, that guy's faith was, that's just incredible, right? How cool is that? Like, how amazing is Stephen's story? Like, I think so often we do that with people in the Bible, we're just like, oh, man, look what they did. Oh, that's so cool. That's so great. And it is, right? It is. It's awesome to see his faith on full display for us. But this is not a story for us just to go, oh, wow, look at that, and then move on with our lives. No, this, just like every other example that we see in Scripture, God wants to teach us something about how to live. And what he's doing with the life of Stephen is he's showing us, hey, believer, in 2022, this is what it looks like to follow me. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. I think we could, we could call Stephen a man who was fully devoted to Jesus, fully devoted to following after him. And Jesus wants the same For all of his followers. If you are a follower of Jesus, you've put your faith in Jesus, claim the name of Jesus, this is what he wants from us a life fully devoted to him. And I wanna be honest with you all and present you a, a true and full version of what that looks like and what that means when we fully devote ourselves to Jesus, there's costs associated with that. That brings with it certain costs and sacrifice. And we talk about that and everybody's like, oh, man, why, you know, following Jesus is supposed to be all wonderful and, and amazing and all peaches and unicorns and rainbows and ice cream, right? Like all this really good stuff. I don't want to talk about the hard stuff. But look, we, we know that this is true. Like when we fully devote ourselves to something, it comes with costs and sacrifices. We just don't think about the costs and sacrifices because it's something that we really want to do. I mean, think of, think of any number of, of hobbies that are out there that we devote our time to, I got a buddy of mine, a few buddies, who are really into camping, and they've been trying for years to get me into camping, and y'all, there's just something about sleeping outside in the wilderness that sounds terrible to me thank you. Thank you. I I got one over here. Amen to that. That's right. It just sounds terrible. Like if I'm, if I'm going on vacation, taking time off of work, spending time outside of my normal routine, y'all, I don't want to be sleeping in the woods somewhere. All right. No, like give me a hotel where I can have somebody clean up after me, where there's AC and running water and food prepared for me. Like y'all, I don't want to be doing that on vacation. Everybody's like, oh no, it's awesome. You can camp and it's great. You enjoy the world. No, 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 I don't, I don't need that. And then what my friends said they, they, they took it a step further, and they bought a camper. And one of my buddies, like, he bought a camper, and then he had to sell his car so he could buy a truck to tow his camper. And I'm like, that's crazy. He's like, no, man, you, it's like, you just, you go on vacation, you just bring everything with you. I'm like, no, I, I go on vacation to leave my house, not tow it behind my vehicle. No, thank you. I want no part of this. And they're like, no, you just gotta, just come with us. I'm like, No. I am not sleeping in a little metal container with your family and me and my wife and my three kids. No, I'm good. Y'all have fun. But there's costs associated. Like, this is a, a fun thing to do, but there's costs associated with that. Uh, my son told me recently, he's six, uh, that he wants to, I'm like, hey, buddy, you want to play like a sport? You want to do something after school or anything like that? And he's like, yeah, I want to play golf. I'm like, hey, okay, well, uh, that's not on a pastor's salary. So let's find something else for you to do, Right. But no, golf is fun. Like I, I grew up playing golf too. I lived in South Florida. So there's golf courses everywhere. You can play for pretty cheap down there. So I played golf going up. And I know that that takes a lot of sacrifice. Those of you that are golfers and are somewhat decent, and I never really was. But it takes a lot of time. It takes commitment. It's, there's cost associated with that. I mean, again, any, any hobby that we have, anything that we devote our time to, brings with it costs and sacrifice. But We don't think twice about that because it's something that we love doing, right? That like we want to do it. Well, following Jesus is no different, that there's costs and sacrifices associated with following Jesus. And Jesus talks about this, right? This is not a, a bait and switch where he's like, hey, follow me. Oh, by the way, here's all this stuff that I want you to do. Oh, here's how I want you to radically change your life for me. No, he told us this. He told us this, plain and simple. Luke 9, 23 and 24, he says this, and Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But listen to this. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And again, he picks this language back up and shares a parable about it in Luke 14. Luke 14, starting verse 25, says this. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned to them and said, If anyone comes after me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. How many of us have that verse plastered on a piece of wood in our dining room? None of us, right? This is the hard stuff that we don't talk about very often. Verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet one who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace." So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So what does it mean to be Jesus' disciple? What does it mean to follow after him? It means we deny ourselves. It means we pick up our cross. And that wasn't like, yeah, we we wear a nice little cross necklace. No, that, that means death. The cross is a symbol of death. You want to follow Jesus, as he says there, we have to lose our life for him. We have to hate our family, which means, doesn't mean that, that we literally hate our family. It means that we have to love Jesus more than anything else in our lives. We love him more than anything. We renounce all that we have, that we're willing to give up everything and follow him, that we, that we count the cost. This is what it means to follow Jesus. And Stephen, he paid the ultimate price, right? He paid his life for this. He paid the ultimate cost. He followed Jesus up to the point of being killed for his faith. And look, I think if we're honest with ourselves, I think we read stories like that and we're like, man, if I was in the same, I would do the same thing. Yes, Jesus, I would die for you. I would die for you, Jesus. If it was between my life or renouncing you, I'd die for you, Jesus. And look, that, that might be true. That, that's probably true, right? For a lot of us, I man, we love Jesus enough to where we would say that, yes, Jesus, I would, I would give my life for you. But what about all the little ways that he calls us to die? The ways that he calls us to die every day and every week. But the reality is, and and Willie pointed this out two weeks ago, the reality is that most of us, our lives, our actual lives, aren't being threatened by persecution right here, right now. Now it's a great blessing that we have living here in this country that, that, that has freedom of religion. We don't have that type of persecution. But as Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, when, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Think about all the things that we're, we're called to sacrifice for the name of Jesus, that, that instead of sacrifice, instead of dying to those things, we, we hold tightly onto them. I mean, are, are we willing to sacrifice our bank account for the name of Jesus? Are we willing to be generous with the money that we make? Are we willing to sacrifice our time for Jesus? our jobs, that promotion that we so want? Are we willing to say, you know what? That would take too much of me. That would demand too much of me away from my family, away from Jesus, so I'm gonna say no. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to sacrifice our future plans, our retirement in the name of Jesus? Are we willing to sacrifice our comfort? Y'all, let's be real. We don't like to do anything that makes us uncomfortable, right? I'm right there with you. I'm not casting blame. I'm, I'm with you on that. It's not fun to do things that are uncomfortable. But Jesus calls us to that so many times. Are we willing to sacrifice people's opinion of me? Are we willing to sacrifice that sin that we love so much, that we hang so tightly onto, that we just want to keep to ourselves and keep hidden away and just keep doing and doing and doing? Are we willing to sacrifice that? Are we willing to sacrifice our neighbors and those that are close to me, those people that don't know Jesus, that God has placed me around in their lives. We just want to sacrifice them to never hear about the gospel, never hear about how Jesus has changed my life, all because it's a little awkward and difficult to talk to somebody else about Jesus. And it is. I'm with you, y'all. It is. It is. This is what Jesus has called us to. He doesn't call us to the easy. He doesn't call us to the comfortable doesn't call us to the safe. When Jesus calls us, he calls us to come and die. Look, I think it's so easy to just have Jesus be a part of our lives, right? Like it's just something that we do if we have time. You know, if it works for my schedule this week, then sure, I'll go to church. If it works for my schedule this week, then yeah, maybe I'll, I'll open up my Bible and I'll read a few verses here and there. Maybe I'll spend a few minutes in prayer, Oh, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll serve, you know, if, if they need me every so often. You know, not, not too much, not, not too much. Certainly not very frequently. That's, that's too much, Travis. It's just so easy to make Jesus a part of our lives, just part of the, one of the many things that we do, but that's not what Jesus calls us to. That's not what he says in his word. That's not what he says. When, when, he, when you follow me, he says, I don't want just a piece of you. You know, he says, I want all of you. I want it all. I want your entire life lived for Jesus. That's what he calls us to. That's what it means to follow him. Are we willing to do that? Sure, we might be willing to die for the name of Jesus, but are we willing to live for him right here, right now, the way he's called us to? Are we willing to give it all to Jesus? Are we willing to sacrifice our wants, our desires, and live for Jesus? Are we willing to pay the cost? So there's great cost to following Jesus, but it's not all bad, right? There's a lot of good stuff to following Jesus. There's a lot of things that come along with it that Jesus provides his followers to sustain us and carry us and provide for us. Let's point out a couple of those things as we continue on here. So we see the cost of following Jesus, and we also see the comfort of following Jesus, the comfort of following Jesus. I look again at what Stephen saw at the end of his life. As uh, he's saying he's that these people are enraged and angry. He looks up to heaven and he sees Jesus, right? We see this in verse 55. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And then verse 59. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out with a loud voice. He called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And he said this. And he fell asleep. So at the end of his life, at, at this point of being wrongfully killed for his faith, Stephen looks up and he sees his Savior. And like this isn't recorded in scriptures, it's just Travis's best guess. But I, I can imagine if we were in that situation, we're being wrongfully killed for our faith, we look up and we see Jesus standing there, welcoming us into His arms, and that that would bring some comfort. That would bring some relief. I'm about to be with Jesus. So I think that was significant comfort for Stephen. So I want to point out four ways that we see in this passage, four ways that Jesus brings comfort and peace to his followers. And look, that's something that we we so long for, right? Like we love comfort, we love peace, but we look for it in all the wrong places. Like we look for it in our family, in our spouse, or our kids, or our job, or the place that we live, or any number of things in this world. We we so look for comfort and peace. And Jesus says, Man, those things don't last. Those things don't bring you comfort. They actually bring more stress and anxiety and fear and troubles, right? But he's the one that truly provides lasting comfort and peace. So four ways that we are comforted as followers of Jesus. One is the comfort of Jesus' sovereignty, the comfort of Jesus' sovereignty. Scripture tells us that, that Jesus is sovereign over all things at all times, that he's got everything held together by his power. This is what Hebrews chapter 1 says, that Jesus right now at this moment is upholding the entire universe by the power of his word, the power of his word. He's, he's upholding everything in the universe, right? It's that little kid song that's true. He's, he's got the whole world in his hands, right? I'm not going to sing it for y'all because that would be terrible and embarrassing, But he's got the whole world in his hands, and he really does. He really does. And look, this should bring us great comfort because in the midst of whatever's going on, there's somebody who is seated on the throne and is in charge and is ruling and reigning. And oh, by the way, he's the perfect, eternal, holy God. At this very moment, Jesus is on his throne reigning over everything in charge of everything and working out his plan, his great and perfect and beautiful plan. He is working on it at all times. And again, that that should bring us comfort because I think when when we look out into the world, when we examine our culture, when we examine what's going on in our country, when we examine what's going on in the rest of the world, it can seem like at times that evil and chaos is reigning, that evil and chaos is ruling the day. It can seem like when we examine what's going on, maybe even in our own lives or the lives of those around us, it can seem like wickedness and brokenness and death get the final word. And it it seems like that, right? In, In this moment, we see the first Christian being killed for his faith. We see persecution all over Jerusalem against the believers. It seems like Satan has won the day, right? It seems like it's all over. But that's not true. That's not true because even in this story, we see the gospel advance. We see God's mission advance. What the death, what the life and death of Stephen reminds us of is that even in the darkest moments, even in our darkest moments, even in our pain and our suffering and our despair and our sadness and our grief and our anxiety and our fears, that our God is at work. In the darkest of moments, our God is at work. And he's a good God. He's a perfect God. And he's an all-powerful God. So we can trust in his sovereignty. We can trust that when he says, I'm working all things together for our good and his glory, that he actually means it and he can actually do it. And he does do it. We can trust that even when we can't see it, even when we can't understand it. You know, there's times that we walk through such difficult moments. We might not ever get the why. We might not ever see why that happened until the other side of eternity, where we can look with perfect knowledge and vision and see, oh, oh, Jesus, that's what you were doing there. That's what you were doing. Oh, I see it. So even when we can't see it, we can trust it. We can trust in his sovereignty, and that should bring us great comfort. We also see here the comfort of Jesus' love, acceptance, and approval. At the end of his life, Stephen sees Jesus standing, which is unique, and we'll talk about that in a second. But it's almost like he's standing to to welcome and receive Stephen, right? He's standing. And what this reminds us of is that in Christ, we have the complete and full love, acceptance, and approval of God at all times. So the scripture tells us is that when we put our faith in Jesus, he gives us his righteousness. What that means is that's a church way of saying he gives us his perfection. He gives us his standing before God. When we put our faith in Jesus, we're justified. That's what that word means. We're justified, which means we have this position of holiness and perfection before God at all times. Because it has nothing to do with me. It's not dependent on what I do or don't do. It's all dependent on jesus and what he's done so i always have the love acceptance and approval of god and it's not contingent like so often our relationships are in this world on on what we do or don't do right like we can get the love and approval and acceptance from those that we really want if we uphold certain things if we do certain things but if we ever stumble and fail make mistakes do something that goes against them and that can be taken away in an instant sometimes not so with jesus No matter how many times we mess up, no matter how many times we stumble and fall and sin, Jesus is right there to pick us back up and welcome us back in his arms. So we have full love, approval, and acceptance from Jesus at all times because it's all about what he's done for us. So we have the comfort of Jesus' sovereignty, the comfort of Jesus' love, and the comfort, third thing, the comfort of Jesus' justice. So I said, it's interesting that Jesus is standing here. So If you underline things in your Bible, it mentions standing in in two verses, 55 and 56. I want you to underline standing in that. And what's interesting about that is that typically post-ascension, so after Jesus was raised and he ascends back up into heaven, the picture that we get of Jesus throughout the entire New Testament is that he is seated at the right hand of God. He's sitting down. What that gives us a picture of is his full authority and his finished and accomplished work on the cross. So he, he's seated in full authority and power. But here he's standing. I already mentioned it's almost like he's standing to receive Stephen, but another reason why he's standing, which uh, our best guess here, is, is that he's standing in judgment. So in the Old Testament when we see God standing, it's typically him standing as judge over a person or people group or nation. He stands up to judge the sin that's going on. And now Jesus here is standing during this moment of Stephen's life where he is being wrongfully murdered for his faith. See, these people think that they're killing Stephen for his sin, that he's the one in the wrong, but Jesus standing to welcome and receive Stephen is also a judgment on those who have killed him. It is vindication for Stephen that he was right and justified and righteous in what he did, and it's in judgment of those who have killed him. And Jesus is the perfect judge, And he does not let any sin go unpunished. And that should bring us great comfort because there are times in our lives where people are going to sin against us. And our normal reaction is to retaliate and get revenge, right? Like I see this in my kids all the time. If one does something to the other, our two older ones who are six and and almost six, actually she'll be six in eight days, it's Livy's birthday, so she'll be six in in eight days here. Whenever one does something to the other one, whether it's, you know, accidentally bump into him or purposefully bump into him, which is most likely the, the case, or takes a toy, or, you know, does the other one will, will strike back and, and raise the ante, right? So, like, if, if Livy takes a toy from Zayden, well, he's going to go and, like, smash one of her toys. If he bumps into her, kind of nudges her out the way, well, she's going to smack him in the face, right? Not really. Uh, that's actually, that, that's pretty accurate. Um, <laughs> Well, I see this with my kids, but like we do that as adults too, right? Like we do that as adults. When somebody wrongs us or sins against us, what do we want to do, man? We want to get them back. They got to pay for what they've done. We have to get revenge. We have to retaliate. Or at least, you know, because we're, we're nice Southern Christians down here in Georgia, we're just going to hold a grudge. But We're going to let them know that we're mad at them and that we don't like them. And we're going to make it real obvious through our passive aggressiveness that we're mad at them. We're going to ask, hey, is everything all right? Oh, everything's fine. Everything's just fine. Right? That's what we do. Don't lie, y'all. That's what we do. All right, this is a safe place. We can admit that. We want to retaliate. We want to strike back. That's our natural inclination. But Jesus says, the way of Jesus is to not do that. He says, leave that up to me. Jesus is the perfect judge and he will not let sin go unpunished. Every sin will be dealt with by Jesus. Here's the deal, either either people will put their faith in Jesus and their sin and the wrath and punishment that they deserve is taken care of by Jesus on the cross, or if they persist in their unbelief and unrepentance, their sin will be dealt with for all of eternity in hell. All sin will be dealt with and justly and rightly punished by Jesus. We can trust him for that. We can trust the perfect God. So when people sin against us, just like Stephen here, when people sin against us, we don't need to retaliate. We don't need to seek revenge. We don't need to hold grudges and anger and bitterness towards those people. We can trust that to our perfect judge and Savior, Jesus Christ. We can rest in Jesus' justice. And then lastly, we see the comfort of Jesus' promise. The comfort of Jesus' promise. Jesus promises all those who put their faith in him that we will spend eternity with him in complete perfection forever. Forever. And look, Stephen gets a glimpse of this at his death when he looks up and he sees heaven being opened up for him. He sees Jesus welcoming him back home. It's just such a reminder for Stephen at the very end that, that all this was true. That the promise of Jesus was true. And now he gets to step into eternity with Jesus. And we can know this promise is true too. So that. In the hard moments, in the difficult days, in the moments of suffering, in the moments of weakness and failure, in the moments of despair, we can look ahead to Jesus' promise of eternal life with him in complete perfection, where he will put an end to all sin, where he will put an end to all suffering. There'll be no more hardship, no more difficult days, no more trials and tribulations. He will wipe every tear from our eyes. No more grief, no more loss no more anxiousness, no more fear, no more depression. There will be a day where he will restore all the brokenness, where he will make all things new and perfect, where he will defeat fully all sin and evil. This is Jesus' promise to us. And he says this in, in John 14, starting in verse 1, he says this, talking to his disciples. It's a word for us today. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And church, what what good news is that? that our promise is that we get to spend eternity in Jesus's presence in complete and total perfection. That should bring us great comfort in this life. This life is not all there is. For those of us who claim the name of Jesus, we can rest on the truth and the promise that this is the closest to hell that we will ever get. So there's great comfort in following Jesus. And thirdly, and we'll end here, we see the blessing of following Jesus. The blessing of following Jesus so again, what happened after Stephen's death, starting in chapter 8, verse 1, it says, And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them. To prison in verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So Stephen is killed, murdered, church is persecuted. Believers are, are forced to flee the city or threaten to be put in prison. Again, it seems like Satan's won, right? He's been coming against the church since Acts chapter 4. And now it seems like, man, he's got, he's got, he just won himself a big victory got the first Christian killed, the church is scattered, persecution's going, people are getting thrown into prison, their lives are being threatened. But as we see time and time again in Acts, nothing can stop the mission of God. Nothing can stop the mission of God. Even as these believers are scattered, forced to flee the city, forced to flee their homes, what do they do where they go? They preach the word. They share the gospel. God's mission continues to advance. And look at where they went. Where'd they go? Where'd they go? Judea and Samaria. Remember what Jesus' mission was all the way back in Acts 1, verse 8? What does he tell his disciples to do? What does he tell us as his followers to do? He says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Check. Done that. Where's the next place? Judea and Samaria. Judea and Samaria. The gospel hasn't spread out of Jerusalem yet. And here, Satan thinks he's one, but God is using what he meant for evil and destruction. God is using for his good and his purposes because as they flee, where do they flee to? Judea and Samaria, exactly where God said to go next. And here are his followers, his believers, preaching the gospel exactly where he wants them to go. Y'all, nothing can stop the mission Of God. And here's the incredible blessing about following Jesus is he invites us into that mission. He invites us into accomplishing his purposes here on this earth. Look, these weren't these weren't like extra special believers here in Acts chapter 8. These are just ordinary believers. They're not pastors. They're not evangelists. They're not missionaries. This wasn't like some great plan cooked up by the apostles. They weren't like, all right, Stephen, here you go, man. Look, you drew the short straw, so you're going to have to die, all right? Sorry, it is what it is, bro, but this is just how it's going to be, so you got to die, and then what's going to happen? They're going to get mad. They're going to persecute us, and we're going to flee, and we're going to go exactly where Jesus said to go, Judea and Samaria. Y'all. You got it? Everybody in? We good? And this wasn't some great evangelistic strategy, missing strategy by the apostles here, no. These people weren't, you know, hands laid on and sent out like we see with with Paul and Barnabas and Silas later on. These were just ordinary believers who were forced to flee out of their homes, and wherever they went, they saw themselves as God's missionary, as Jesus' witnesses to preach and share the gospel wherever they went. And God invites us into that same story, into that same mission today. See, the believers were to go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And then where's the other place? The ends of the earth. That's where we come in. Or to be Jesus' witnesses to the ends of the earth. So these believers were forced out of their, their city, forced out of their homes. What did they, do? Did, did they hide? Did they disguise themselves? Did they never speak about Jesus again? No. No, they kept on preaching the word. And what that means is we hear preach the word, and you think, oh, i got to preach a sermon. No. All that means is sharing the gospel, talking about Jesus. That's all they did. They talked about Jesus. They called people to put their faith in Jesus. And this is what we're supposed to do as well. As followers of Jesus, we have this incredible blessing of being part of God's big plan for history, of his great rescue plan to save and redeem his people. He's called us to that. Me and you, every believer who claims the name of Jesus, he's called us to step into something far bigger than ourselves, right? Far bigger than us, bigger than our dreams, bigger than our desires, bigger than than our lives, bigger than any plan that we could have for our lives. This world, y'all, this world, if you don't know this already, this is true. I want you all to hear this. This world is not about you. And it's not about me. Our lives aren't even about us we're a follower of Jesus, our lives in this world are about him. They're about him. History is not about us. It's all about Jesus. And God has called us. He's invited us in to be a part of his great rescue plan. you what, what a joy, what a blessing, what an incredible privilege that is. And yet we're, we're content to just live our lives for us, just focused on us, doing whatever we want to do. Do y'all believe that there's people in this city, in your community, in your neighborhood, at your workplace that need to hear about Jesus? It's a legit question. Yes? Yes. Okay. Yes. You, You believe that some of those people Jesus wants to save and bring to faith? Yes, okay. Romans 10, 17 says faith comes through hearing the gospel. If we truly believe what we just said, and I, I truly believe that. I truly believe there are people in this county, in this city, in this community, in your neighborhood, in my neighborhood, at your job, in maybe even your own family that Jesus wants to save, and he's invited us in to preach and share the good news of Jesus Christ to them. you what a blessing that is. What a privilege that is. Let's not neglect this incredible opportunity. But let's think, all of us, let's think this week and follow through with this. Let's think and, and follow through with, with how can I bless somebody in the name of Jesus today or this week? How can I display and declare the gospel to somebody in my life This week, who can I invite to come to church with me to hear the good news of Jesus Christ? This is the joy and blessing that we have as believers, that God actually uses broken sinners like us to save and rescue and redeem people, that we get to have a part in seeing dead people come to life. Y'all, that's amazing. That's incredible. And if that doesn't get you excited and pumped up, I don't even know what to do. I'm all out of ideas, y'all. I got nothing else. This is amazing. This is incredible. This is the life that Jesus has called us to. The cost, the comfort, and the blessing of following Jesus. Will you step into this life with me? Let's do this together, y'all. This is what the church is called to do. This is what believers are called to do. I'm going to pray for us and the band's going to come up and lead us in a couple more songs and as we do we're going to step into a time like we do every single Sunday a time of communion and this is a time just for believers in the room so if you're here and you've put your faith in Jesus this is a time for us to reflect and remember and celebrate the sacrifice of Jesus. So maybe you need to spend some time I mean you need to repent of some sin. Maybe you've been living as Jesus is just part of your life and not your whole entire life. Maybe you need to repent Bring some things back to Jesus. Take the time you need. Spend some time in prayer. Maybe you need to spend some time just in worship at your seat, celebrating and and, and praising the name of Jesus for what he's done for us. And then as you're ready, we have tables on either side over here and over here with the elements. that we have the bread and the cup representing his broken body and shed blood on the cross for our sins. If you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus, step into this life. Yes, there's cost, but there's great blessing. And with it comes the promise of freedom and eternal life with Jesus. That's the only one who can offer you that. It's the only one who can promise that and actually deliver. Put your faith in Jesus today. If you wanna do that, if you have questions about that, I'll be hanging out afterwards. Let me know. I'd love to chat with you about that and let you know what that means. Or you can even just right now, as we pray, as I pray, all you gotta do is just tell Jesus. If you wanna put your faith in Jesus, all you gotta do is tell Jesus that. Say, Jesus, I'm trusting you for my salvation. I don't want to live for myself anymore. I want to live for you. Save me from my sins, Jesus. The Bible tells us everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, for your grace in our lives. Lord, I thank you for your sovereignty and your power. Lord, I thank you for calling us into this life. Lord, I thank you for calling us into something bigger than ourselves. So that that it's not just about us. Man, what, what a sad life and a sad way to live, Jesus. But you've called us to more. You've called us to a life on mission, Jesus. Would we step into that? Would we radically follow you wherever? you lead us, whatever that looks like, Lord, because we know, we know that no matter what cost we pay, even with our lives, Lord, you promise that when we lose our life for you, that's when we find true, lasting, eternal, and abundant life, Jesus. Lord, give us strength to follow you, to walk in obedience to you, no matter the cost, Lord. Jesus, we thank you for who you are, for all that you've done for us. Lord, we thank you as we sang earlier that you are worthy, Jesus. We lift high your name today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.